Gratitude goes out to you today for listening to Eco Radio KC on 90.1 FM KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. This is a locally made exploration into positive solutions to some of today's ecological challenges for all of us working to create a healthier future for our communities and for the world you live in. Thanks for listening to Eco Radio KC. My name is Darnell. For today's show, stay tuned to hear host Craig Lubel speak with Ty Gorman of the Kansas chapter of the Sierra Club about water issues in BPU's management and suppression of public input. Ty has been meeting with BPU's management on a matter of utility cutoffs and public suppression. He is working on making access to information easier easier for utility customers. We at Eco Radio are glad to encourage awareness and protection of our world. Our goal is to assure our listeners are aware of how we can create a sustainable present for a sustainable future. This will be a great radio hour. Now, our show. All right. Thank you for joining us. This is Craig Lubo, and as Darnell indicated, my guest today is Ty Gorman. And Ty is with the Sierra Club and works on the Beyond Coal campaign, but he's also an activist, environmental activist generally. And we're going to be talking about issues, uh, water issues, and somewhat electric issues with cutoffs by the BPU. BPU is the Board of Public Utilities that's in Wyandotte County, and it serves most, not all, everybody, but majority of the Wyandotte County area, providing water and electric service. Uh, welcome, Ty. Thanks. It's great to be here. The, there's been articles in recent times from, uh, that have been featured on PBS on Flatland and then some daily papers, KC Star, Wyandotte Daily, Kansas Beacon, about the extraordinary amount of customers showing up to KCK, BPU, and UG Commission meetings demanding change. Can you give us an overview of what's going on? Sure, absolutely. I, I think the, the, the people showing up these, uh, these days to push BPU to do better for the community uh, are really looking at a few different major issues uh, that the few customers have been dealing with for a long time. Uh, one is just safety. People are showing up these these days from one that for for safety, for justice, for demanding more from BPU. Un- unsafe shutoffs is a big deal. There, they can shut you your water off at any time. Um, that's not that's not safe. That's not right. Um, they uh, can shut your electric off. They have a cold weather rule. Um, that has a little bit of protection um, within 24 hours of below freezing. They're not supposed to shut you off. And, and right now they have uh, had a little, little moratorium through the new year so that no one should be getting shut off. Uh, if anyone is getting notices or, or at risk of being shut off and utilities telling you that, please uh, reach out. I'll, uh, I'll share my contact info. But 
that's one big reason people are showing up now to demand more from BPU. And a lot of the reason that's such a big deal is because their bills are so high. Um, we'll talk about there's just energy burden is the main issue there where people are spending such a high percentage of their income on their electric and water and utility bills. Um, and it's not just for the services. It's for a whole range of other uh, taxes and fees that are that are thrown on that bill and people are upset about that and that needs to change. That's a, a just a bad regressive public finance. And then uh, finally, just people need more representation in their utilities decisions. BPU has been shut off for some time from uh, you know, reaching out and bringing people into their planning decisions. Um, they have a a board meeting where people can show up and talk for a few minutes, but very little attempt to uh, to bring other organizations and community groups into their yearly planning process or their integrated resource plan or to share anything transparently with the customers they serve. And um, for a municipal utility, that's um, that's unusual and not, not good. We need to uh, push back and, and get more from our our utility um, and a big reason why we can change it right now uh, whereas you know we couldn't maybe as easily before uh, since these issues have been going on for a long time is the federal money from the recent Inflation Reduction Act bill and others that brings hundreds of millions of dollars to municipalities that are willing to make these good investments on behalf of their customers and uh, we are excited to work through that change and um, I've been lucky to work with a lot of amazing community activists who've been, been doing this work much longer than I and uh, I live in Northeast KCK with folks who are just uh, amazing community leaders and uh, care deeply about our neighborhoods that, um, that are leading this work. You mentioned the cold, the, the cold weather cutoff rule. You said a little bit about that and they can't cut you off when it's being within a certain amount of time below freezing. Does that apply to both electric and water? No, it's not. That's just electric. And, um, and it's not a very robust rule. It's not as uh, good as the Evergy KCC rule uh, that, that a lot of other Kansans have. And that, and that rule is not so great either. So anytime within 24 hours if the temperature gets above, is projected to get above freezing, uh, for a 24-hour period, then they can shut you off and not turn you back on as far as electric. They can shut your water off at any time. Um, and that's after they just passed something to improve the rule more recently where, uh, they, you know, just a couple months ago and for years now, they've had a rule where if, it, if the temperature ever got above freezing, they could just cut everybody off immediately <laughs> and then right before it dropped back below. So uh, it's gotten a little better, but we've got a long way to go for really bringing an emergency weather rule and just we shouldn't be cutting anybody's power or water off uh, at all really but especially when there is uh, extreme heat extreme cold or any other kind of uh, emergency where people's uh, depend on um, the, the water and power the utility should it should be on them to make sure when they're cutting someone's service off that it's not putting anyone's life at risk that's pretty pretty simple practice, I think, to, uh, or at least goal to have here, and they can plan with the community and a variety of safety protections that other municipalities have around the country um, to make sure that they 
don't put people at risk. I can, I can get into details about those other protections if you like. Uh, but Okay, well, let's come back to that in a second. The question I've got is that if they turn, if they cut you off while it's above freezing, and then there's a period of time when it's projected to be below freezing, is there any requirement they turn you back on during that period? No, there's not. not unless you pay them money plus fees, reconnect fees, disconnect fees, all these fixed costs. Okay. And, um, folks are, are paying such a high percentage on their bill that uh, those kinds of practices sometimes lead people to houselessness, eviction, um, and other dangerous, life-threatening situations. Um, so then this isn't just a BPU problem. Evergy is cutting thousands of people off as well. So uh, you know, there's other um, there's there's issues on both sides of the border. So if you're if you're out of the BPU district listening tonight, uh, stay tuned. These issues still uh, <laughs> still affect us all. But to be clear, one of the distinctions that the government should be taking into account is BPU is a municipal utility. I think it's supposed to be nonprofit, whereas Evergy is not a municipal utility and does make a profit. So it seems like that should be taken into account when they enforce these rules. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you know BPU should be acting as an advocate for their customers um, more so than they have been. Um, and if one. One point here, uh, especially with the federal money, they're going to get paid <laughs> eventually. They can uh, keep these people healthy, keep the people safe, and then uh, connect with assistance programs and dollars from federal and state organizations to pay for those bills. Um, so we know it's not like we're asking them to, to go bankrupt <laughs> or that this is going to um, you know, destroy their ability to pay their bills. Um, there are resources out there and improvements that BPU can make to connect their customers with a variety of assistance dollars and resources as well as apply for themselves. Um, so, uh, and BPU uh, is, is able to do that for the first time with new federal dollars coming in in 2023 in ways that they haven't before. All right, and... Um, if you can tell us a little bit about how you got into this and what your interest is in this issue. Sure, sure. I'm, uh, you know, I'm blessed to live in Northeast KCK and been able to, to meet many of my neighbors who are uh, who are, have been working to improve BPU and, and working to make the community better for many years. And, um, and there's a whole a broad network of kind of underfunded and mostly volunteer, nonprofit, health, church, community organizations who are trying to put people before profit uh, in a community under a lot of pressure from uh, folks trying to exploit KCK's property values skyrocket. So I, I just wish I could list all these organizations here, but um, I just like to ask people to, to email ty.gorman at sierraclub.org. Uh, and if you're interested in uh, connecting where, where you like any of these organizations or issues that we talked about tonight, about to get you on the right people across the community. So that's, that's why I'm involved, just support, supporting our community. And, um, and also this really connects at the core of Sierra Club's environmental justice.
if if we can pick up on that in another minute, we need to take our first break. And for those just joining us, we're talking to Ty Gorman from the Beyond Coal campaign with the Sierra Club. And we are talking about BPU issues in Wyandotte County. Do you have feedback about the shows you hear on KKFI? The KKFI Listener Survey is the way to let us know. You can go online to kkfi.org survey and give us your thoughts on our programming. Hi, this is Sean M. Stewart. I want to let you know about a show on the 27th of December at the Record Bar. The Utilitarians are the feature, Interstate Run goes on right before them, and the opener is The Critters. Doors are at 7, and your admission goes to Southeast Unity Warming Center. We are accepting clothing donations that night if you want to bring them. This message is a public service announcement of KKFI. Here's a calendar for the week of December 26th. Saturday, December 31st, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., Nature Art Winter Wonderland. All ages are invited to this free walk-in workshop at Anita B. Gorman Conservation Discovery Center, 4750 Troost Avenue, Kansas City, Missouri. Welcome the new year by creating a nature art project. Participants will explore the Discovery Center's big backyard to gather dried stems, leaves, berries, nuts, grasses, feathers, and other winter treasures. Then you'll step back inside and use your imagination to create unique nature art. This is the only event we found this week. Please stay involved. Check your local political bodies for environmental issues. To all our listeners, Happy New Year. My name is Terry. Thanks for listening to Eco Radio KC. All right. Thank you for staying with us. We are back. Thanks, Greg. Good to be back. Okay. We, we are back with Ty Gorman from the Sierra Club, and um, we are talking about issues, water issues with the BPU and cutoffs. Ty, can you tell us a little bit about how this relates to environmental justice? Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the BPU is so central to the environmental justice issues that uh, Wyandotte County has faced for, for many years. I, you know, with, with water and air pollution, I can, I can start there with the coal plant that, that we are, that, that the BPU spends plenty of money for up on a Nearman plant near 60th on Missouri. Um, so there's, there's water heat pollution there, um, but there's also, um, uh, air pollution issues that have uh, affected communities of color more than any other communities uh, in the country. Um, I mean, coal plants are almost always located in areas uh, that are that are where residents have been historically underserved, and sixty uh, percent of African Americans live within thirty miles of a power plant. Thirty-nine uh, percent of people of color live within three miles of a power plant, um, and the NAACP is given all of these plants bad ratings and Nearman is at the bottom of that list. It's, it gets an F for its uh, rating on the toll from coal report. Um, I mean, millions of people live within 
uh, coal plant, you know, range of coal plant pollution here in Kansas City area. Um, so that's one big piece of it. And the other piece is that coal is extremely expensive. So uh, there's, you know, the gas plants are also harmful and expensive. Um, so these fossil fuel industries where the, the customers of Wyandotte County are spending $50 million a year just for fuel sent up to Wyoming uh, for their uh, coal that they're digging up and sending down here on trains. And that's um, both an issue for our health directly and also the extra cost and energy burden is a health hazard to folks. There's underinvestment in people's homes in this area, so that's an environmental justice issue. And the, the, you know, the home health aspect of this is really important because the energy efficiency opportunities through the federal bill, the, the ability to invest in uh, our KCK community homes and reduce the need for expensive power that way, reduce the health risk from BPU, reduce people's bills. Um, and uh, so there's just a, a ton of ways in which environmental justice connects to the work that KCK community members are doing right now, showing up to BPU meetings and UG commission meetings and telling our leaders the cha- what changes they need to make to reduce our bills and stop pollution. And with the Inflation Reduction Act, the what kind of actions or what is available to the BPU to help reduce um, the rates or the cumulative effect of the um, energy consumption? Yeah, there's, there's so much. Greg, I mean, this is a most once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, the most funding that's been available for this kind of work and to lower folks' bills, especially environmental justice communities and, and generations. Uh, so just a, a quick smattering, the you know, IRA funding available for uh, for BPU and the UG Commission to, to partner on and, and bring to the people includes air quality, greenhouse gas reduction funding, housing investment funding, and resilience in not only homes but public infrastructure and uh, and, and the BPU, uh, utility infrastructure and the water and the electric uh, transmission and distribution uh, side to make sure that the power stays on in floods and extreme weather and um, it also invests in workforce development to bring jobs to the community. It's a very important part of this whole system is that uh, the, the federal money uh, can come in for improving the infrastructure of the community, the homes in the community, the generation and tr- transmission of BPU, the water uh, distribution and cleaning technology, and all that can be uh, uh, bring long-sustaining, good-paying jobs to the community. Um, I can highlight just a couple of uh, the, the main programs that can really have electric bills, just cut, cut, cut electric bills by 50% if all these things can be um, prioritized by the community and uh, by the BPU and the commission and other groups in the community. I mean, uh, the, right now they're not telling us anything that they're doing to get a hold of this money or to prepare to improve the community with these funds. but. Once we can push them to, to share this planning process with us, um, they can bring uh, customers energy.
energy reduction, maintenance, and uh, service reduction to all customers through a home and commercial tax credit for electric upgrades. So that's um, you know cutting thirty percent of the cost for uh, installing efficiency measures that are extremely cost effective, much more so than any generation that they can add to the grid for the electric side. Um, there's also once the, for the first time direct pay tax credits for clean energy so that the production tax credit and investment tax credit that for so long have just been for for-profit organizations can now be taken advantage of by the BPU as a nonprofit as a grant as a uh, the benefit to their to their books and to uh, to taking taking debt off their um, their their sheets here and you know that that investment is uh, something that doesn't have to be a, a giant solar or wind farm somewhere else. It can be smaller uh, storage and uh, and solar and investments within the community, local, on brownfields, in environmental justice communities. There's 20 percent adder for um, having the having a brownfield, having the buy local and labor uh, included in those clean energy contracts. Um, and energy infrastructure loans from the Department of Energy can remove all the coal debt from the books <laughs> over a period of time and at least improve the cost effectiveness even more. So the financial uh, uh, benefits of the, IR, of the federal money here are just just huge and undeniable and uh, BPU needs to be moving towards taking advantage of them on behalf of their customers for, and on the water side as well, but they're not doing that yet. They're not sharing that with the community. And would you tell the listeners, uh, you used the term brownfields, and we know what that is, but tell the listeners what that refers to. Sure, really just uh, part of the environmental justice issues in Wyandotte County have left a lot of big chunks of land poisoned and uh, big industry and other um you know, other things in the past hundred years there have left a uh, an environmental legacy in our communities of color, especially um, where the land can't hasn't been used for other things and is 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 polluted. And so, um, those are ground fields uh, is a designation from the Environmental Protection Agency, and they can be uh, repurposed for these clean energy projects and uh, and get extra money from the government for doing so. What are are there some risk to the environment as a result of cutoffs? An interesting question. I you know I think um, the the cutoffs come from so many social and environmental factors, uh, and they cause a lot of health and uh, social problems. So. Um, I think putting people out on the streets, putting people's lives in danger, those kinds of uh, cutoffs for an energy burden community like KCK, they do have an environmental effect. Um, but even more so, this they uh, are reflective of the poisonous generation um, that goes into these high bills for BPU customers and. Um, and the, the the clean energy uh, investments we make can be distributed, can be dispersed, and that means they're resilient 
and uh, and that's much better for the environment and reduces cutoffs. So um, they're interrelated. Those two those two uh, issues and um, and really where our stance there in, in Sierra Club is that uh, there's no uh, you know there's, all justice leads to climate justice. We need to support people within this movement in a way that uh, you know, centers uh, especially our communities of color and those who have been most disenfranchised by uh, the fossil fuel industries and they have to be centered in our clean energy transition. So it's all, it's all one campaign and one issue for us. Yeah, I, I don't know about municipal utilities, but private utilities, a lot of them get subsidies in the form of tax breaks and all. Can something be done to say, hey, if, if we're going to subsidize you and give you tax breaks, then you have to work with these people in a better fashion to keep their utilities on? Yeah, that's, that's, that's I think, what the federal government is trying to do with a lot of the direct grants. So there's some of these grants, like I mentioned, that are focused on the generation are um, something that the utility can take advantage of unilaterally and should with pressure from the people in the unified government. But on the other side, there's these, uh, say, $5 billion, for example, of EPA planning grants where the community can work uh, with all of the network of organizations of churches and nonprofits and uh, health groups and neighborhood associations that I mentioned that are really driving this work. And they can get a grant to plan for their future and plan for climate adaptation, plan for better water, uh, infrastructure and community uh, resilience for, for flooding and, um, and water purification and catchment, as well as the um, the electric and inefficiency type of uh, investments that I've been discussing. So, um, so, so I'd say you know the the government and and the competitive grants for this federal money have tried to uh, remove some of the difficulties of getting through uh, UGM BPU bureaucracy. But we all gotta gotta work together and be transparent on these. To the extent that energy efficiency reduces your energy consumption, uh, what are some of the types of energy efficiency projects that could potentially be funded by the um, Inflation Reduction Act or any other programs? Yeah, I mean, it runs the whole gamut. So there's plenty of commercial and industrial efficiency programs. Uh, the ones we're concentrating on here in our community are the residential ones. I mean, a lot of these houses are 100 years old, um, and they have, you know, old uh, furnaces and uh, old air conditioners, and they're full of holes, and, um, and you know, they have to have basically insulation, heat pumps, uh, some uh, some electrification issues there to keep people safe. Um, so a whole gamut, but we need okay. to uh, make efficiency central in our movement. Ty, I'll have you pick up on that some more after our next break. We have to take our second break. We'll be back in a moment um, after some spots. I can talk without really saying anything. You know, music is really the only way I can be honest. Our moment into song 
and making music from weapons technologies from ARC to Microchip, Thursday, 7 p.m. The kids want to put up a trampoline, but that old car is in the way. Why don't we give that car to Vehicles for Charity? It's great for both of us. We get rid of the car while getting a tax deduction, and KKFI gets the proceeds from the car whether it's running or not. Donate it to KKFI, Vehicles for Charity, 816-931-3122. I'm Dr. Anthony Lizowitz, and this is Climate Connections. Experiencing a hurricane or wildfire can be traumatic, and seeing a landscape damaged by drought or other climate impacts can create a profound sense of loss. The church can provide a kind of spiritual support for that and a spiritual network. That's Avery Davis Lamb of Creation Justice Ministries. His group created a guide called Faithful Resilience that helps church communities prepare for and respond to climate change. It includes biblical references, questions to prompt group discussions or sermons, and suggested actions. Lamb says in addition to spiritual guidance, churches often have physical resources to offer the community during a crisis. Maybe they have some cots, maybe they have showers, they have industrial kitchens, usually big refrigerators. Sometimes they have good solar potential and battery storage. If so, they can provide a sanctuary for people who are displaced by a natural disaster. And long-term, churches can manage their land in a way that helps lessen climate impacts. For example, installing permeable pavers or rain gardens can help reduce stormwater runoff. Fundamentally, it's about caring for God's planet and caring for God's people and seeing the two as intertwined. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. To hear more stories like this, visit climateconnections.org. Okay, thank you for staying with us. This is Craig Lubo. For those of you who just joined us, I'm talking to Ty Gorman from the Beyond Coal Campaign, uh, which is part of the Sierra Club. And we are talking about cutoffs and energy efficiency issues in both electric and water with BPU, which is in Kansas City, Kansas. Um, so you would talk some about the energy efficiency projects, if you want to pick up on that. Absolutely. Thanks. Um, I mean, let's say the energy efficiency is the lowest cost, the most effective energy uh, generation source as well in uh, this, and it's funded by the uh, AIRA, and so it's a resource that BPU has not used in the past and needs to in the future. Um, another thing I want to say about efficiency is that in order for it to really help the customers most, it has to be, you have to remove fixed fees from the bill. A lot of utilities really try to uh, contribute a lot of money to, to the um, utility through fixed fees for transmission and infrastructure. Well, BPU goes beyond that and has and acts as a collection agency for the unified government. And so they have these uh, these bills that can get up to, uh, I mean, I've seen bills for over $500 for water and electric and, and for, for not exorbitant homes for like low income families. And some of these um, bills where people don't even use much electric and water, they're still paying a, like near 200 and most of the bill is for these uh, pilot fees, as they call them, and a series of other fees that should live for stormwater and things like that. 
And these fees should be in a progressive tax structure. They should be uh, levied on the folks that are most able to pay them. And the, the services should be uh, connected to the payments that come in through normal taxes. But the but UG, the UG Commission, has decided to uh, instead take an easier route of putting these flat fees on bills, which really hurts the has hurts the customers the most that can pay the least. So it's a regressive, terrible fee structure. Uh, they claim that the, the UG Commission claims that the pilot fees are. Uh, are uh, held by many other municipalities, but not the way the BPU uses them. Um, they uh, they they get free power and they tax the poorest people in the county on their electric bills on a monthly basis. Where if you don't pay those taxes, you get your electric and water shut off. So the people are real mad about that, and that they need and the, they're going to be taking that to the commission, um, who really has a lot of uh, issues right now. They just removed a lot of the mayor's power who's been speaking out against BPU. Uh, so they're, the people are angry, and right now the commission better come through to make people's lives better early this year in this regard, I think, or uh, they'll, they'll, that'll show on the election. And what is the authority of the county commission as it compares compares to the authority of the BPU board? Yeah, this is a question that a lot of people have been asking, and uh, the commission is actually supposed to and um, has been supposed to go over the charter and a bunch of other regulations that have built up over the years to address that question in detail. In general, I'd say it's the BPU board is in charge of the day-to-day operations and the, um, the, the detailed utility planning. Uh, so they need to be the ones to uh, incorporate the community into their clean energy planning and into the programs they should be getting to connect people with assistance for bills and new infrastructure. The UG Commission is the one in charge of all these flat fees that they're sticking on the BPU bill in order to fill the general fund and pay for services. So they need to be the ones to remove that from a threat to people's lives for not paying their utility bill and get that money through um, progressive uh, and decent means. So that's kind of the division of power there. Uh, Both these groups have meetings coming up that the community is showing up to. Uh, BPU board meets publicly every first and second Wednesday, every first and third Wednesday of, uh, of the month. So we'll be there on the first Wednesday and January and the third Wednesday in January, uh, demanding these changes, and the UG Commission. Yeah, uh, well, let me stop you for just a second. Um, yeah. The BPU meetings on first and third Wednesday of the month at what time? Six p.m. Six p.m. So that's that's when the public comment is. And where do they meet? They meet. Uh, at the BPU building on Minnesota um, and uh, uh, 6th. <laughs> and so, um, and the UG Commission is just down the road at the big white tower on, uh, off of the 7th Avenue. <laughs> All right. And so, and when does the County Commission, when do they meet? The County Commission will be meeting on January 17th. Um, and I believe that's believe that's also at 6 p.m., maybe 7 p.m. for them. Um, and there's a full commission meeting on January 12th. So there's, yes, yeah, two <laughs> two dates there. So January 12th has a full commission meeting at 7 p.m. There we go. 
got that right. And is that like always on Wednesdays too, or a different day? No. And so yeah, yeah. the, the okay. Thursday Lesson. and um, at 7 p.m. January 12th, and you can check those dates on their calendar. And and again, please email me at, at ty.gorman at sierraclub.org for to get plugged in. All right. And it was one thing that I meant to ask you before when we were talking about taxes and pilot fees. What is pilot fees are really just another tax, isn't it? Right. I mean, the point of pilot fees in general is to make up for uh, not-for-profit entities that own a lot of land. So, you know, other other municipalities that have them will charge uh, not charge not-for-profit entities for that make over $15 million or have a ton of land. Um, and that's the idea. They're instead kind of using the BPU as a, as a collection agency for the general fund um, and saying that the free power that the BPU provides the UG and um, uh, treating the BPU as though they're uh, not passing that directly through to customers for a, for a general fund purposes. Um, so that's just not an appropriate use of pilot funds and other, other municipalities don't use them in such a regressive fashion. Yeah. You also mentioned commercial upgrades, et cetera, before. Um, does industry, you know, when they cut off the residents for non-payment, is the standard that they look at, is it the same for industry? Or is industry given a more of a leeway if they happen to get behind? That's a good question. There's been definitely been some... Uh, kind of locally famous examples of industry getting a lot of leeway on the backs of low-income customers. Um, I mean, I think, you know, industry generally gets breaks on electric rates, especially, um, and uh, as part of the a, you know, a package that's supposed to bring them into the community, so it's already they have reduced rates. Uh, famously, the, the baseball team out at uh, Legends out there uh, racked up hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt and never got cut off uh, and had the, all that was paid for by community members and people were pretty mad about that. Um, you know, there's, uh, it's always, I think, easier to uh, get away with putting more charges on uh, residential and low-income low customers um, for, for, uh, for utilities and not just BPU, but Evergy operates similarly. So, uh, we got we got to really work together with people power to hold the utility accountable. Make sure they're not hurting hurting residential customers most. Let me ask you another question on the Inflation Reduction Act. We had a guest I don't remember who it was uh, several weeks ago that mentioned it, and one of the things they said is that money goes actually goes to the states. And then the states distribute it how they want, whether they distribute it to help people with utilities or something else. Is that your understanding of that act, too? No. Uh, my understanding is that there's a whole range of uh, ways that, that, that the federal money is reaching folks. Um, in the first bill that was passed a, um, a year and a half ago now, uh, called the IIJA, I don't know if you're a policy wonk and want to know that, but uh, basically a lot of that was um, uh, ended up going through state energy offices uh, and and state uh, 
uh, governor's offices. Um, and some of that money is coming down now. For example, over $6 million just got approved from the state energy office, which is the Kansas Corporation Commission for energy efficiency projects administered by Kansas State. So that's one example of that. Uh, but there's also just a ton of direct grants, direct uh, applications that go to the Department of Energy, the EPA, etc., that don't need to be through the state or the local government. It can be through any organizations that can uh, put together a coalition and uh, kind of a package of deliverables that they can uh, that they can uh, get get funded for within the next few years. So we're we're really hoping to engage and uh, with the federal government money and bring change to Wyandotte and other environmental justice communities in Kansas in a, in a variety of ways: local government, state government, nonprofit, neighborhood association, all the above. Tell us a little bit about if people go to these commission meetings or VPU meetings, what do they need to do to attend? Do they have to get on a list or register or something? And if they want to speak or make a public comment, what do they need to do to do that? Yeah, there's ways to attend remotely. So you can go to uh, the... Uh, WICO KCK or BPU.org sites uh, online and find their uh, join webinar Zoom link and telephone numbers on there. Uh, you don't have to sign up ahead of time to do that. And then when you're in the meeting, you can either raise your hand on Zoom, press star nine to unmute yourself during the public comment periods. Um, if you show up in person, you, you should now be able to uh, show up to both those buildings I mentioned on in KCK in person. And uh, if you show up five minutes early or so, just sign your name up on a list on the, on the paper as you go in and you can speak in the first, uh, uh, in the first before the meeting starts after 6 p.m. or 7 p.m., depending on the, uh, uh, the meeting time. And in regard to the, you mentioned the tall white building on 7th Street that's actually part inside the municipal same building that municipal court is in and uh, it's right across the streets so that's 701 north 7th right 701 north 7th so that's where you would go for that and i think that's actually in the first on the first floor as you entered the building if unless they've changed that nope, that's, that should still be it okay are there other federal programs that we haven't mentioned yet besides what we've talked about well, absolutely. There's just a ton of them here. Um, you know, that's, I want to just um, put more emphasis behind the programs that are offered for the first time ever to municipal utilities. And uh, that includes the, uh, the tax credits as grants and the Department of Energy loans. And, um, and those can really... For, for public power, municipalities that recently closed fossil generators can cost-effectively replace coal, gas, and unwind their fuel contracts. They can clean up their coal ash and other waste that has uh, been poisoning the land. They can approach all those projects with federal support using very favorably priced loans, getting rid of other debt, um, or getting them as grants. And getting or getting loans forgiven, so there's um, a huge amount of uh, 
public power opportunities that have never existed before taking uh, the clean energy transition. Between now and 2026, these, uh, these funds need to be accessed by VPU and the UG and other organizations. Okay. Um, for those who have just joined us, we've been talking to Ty Gorman, talking about water and electric cutoffs and other issues in Kansas City, Kansas. And we are out of time. We do have a couple other things that we'll be playing for you. And stay tuned. Come back next week, and we'll have another topic, another guest. Thank you, Ty. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Hi, this is Ross, a volunteer with KKFI. I would like to thank you for listening and ask that you take the time to give a gift at kkfi.org during this year-end online fund drive. Thanks. Did you know that your smart speaker can play your favorite community radio station too? Just say, play KKFI to your smart speaker and stay tuned in to your favorite shows. The future is truly here. This is Professor Howard Zinn. The independent, non-commercial radio station you're listening to is really important in the maintenance of democracy. Thomas Jefferson once said, an informed democracy will behave in a reasonable manner. So if you care about being informed, if you care about democracy, if you're a reasonable person, you are, of course. Please support your source for uncensored news and views and the voice of your community. I'm Dr. Anthony Lizewitz, and this is Climate Connections. In the Great Lakes region, a forecast of lake effect snow can mean several feet of the white stuff. When cold air blows over warm open lake water, the water evaporates. And when it's cold enough, that moisture can fall as snow. So in November, December, January, you see very large lake effect events. And that's because you have air that is cold enough to snow and you still have the water being warm. Once the water freezes over, then the evaporation is largely reduced and then there's a reduction of lake effect snow. Ricky Rood at the University of Michigan says that as the climate changes, the lakes are getting warmer and staying ice-free for longer. That can lead to more evaporation and sometimes heavier lake effect snow. Individual snowstorms can actually be larger in terms of the amount of snow in an individual storm. But before snow lovers rejoice, a caveat. As the climate warms, more and more of that lake effect precipitation is falling as rain instead. So eventually, winter activities, from snowmobiling to snowball fights, could be harder to experience. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. To hear more stories like this, visit climateconnections.org. Thanks for listening to Eco Radio KC. My name is Darnell. Here's some environmental news for the week of December 26, 2022. Democracy Now! reports over 2 million people across the United States have been under a winter weather advisory. Parts of the Midwest have received more than a foot of snow, with millions facing whiteout conditions and life-threatening wind chill advisories. Hundreds of thousands of homes and businesses have lost power. The National National Weather Service described this as an influx of Arctic air caused by a warming atmosphere. 
the U.S. Postal Service says it will purchase 66,000 electric delivery trucks over the next few years and acquire 100% electric starting in 2026. About a third of the United States Postal Service's $9.6 billion budget for its electric fleet will come from the Inflation Reduction Act. Biden has ordered federal agencies to purchase only zero emission vehicles by 2035. In another setback for environmental advocates, the EPA has delayed a decision on granting California waivers so it can set its own truck pollution standards to be stricter than the federal ones. Inside Climate News reports, fracked wells in West Texas don't just produce petroleum. Much more than anything else, they spit out salty, mucky water. Typically, companies have discarded that fluid hundreds of millions of gallons per day by injecting it back underground, occasionally causing small earthquakes. Hydraulic fracturing in West Texas uses large amounts of fresh aquifer water to crack open subterranean shale, unleashing a mixture of oil, gas, and fossil brine, 100 times as salty as the sea. Increasingly, frackers are starting to reuse that brine, easing their burden on aquifers. Fracking doesn't require particularly clean water and a treatment to prepare it is pretty simple. It's the pipeline's network that makes it economical, uh, providing the equivalent of oil field plumbing to replace the laborious process of trucking in water and trucking out waste. Recently, Texas convened water experts for a state-funded study of recycling that so-called produced water, the term for wastewater from oil wells. In response to a survey by the Texas Consortium, Fracking companies, on average, said they were already reusing 30% of their wastewater, even if they satisfied 100% of their need with recycled water. They would still have millions of barrels of produced water left over every day. Underground disposal remained a much cheaper option than reuse, but scarcity conditions, the 130-page report said, will eventually make produced water use an economically feasible option. According to the latest Texas water plan, statewide water supplies will decrease by approximately 18% within 50 years, primarily due to depletion of aquifers. Such a fate awaits the Ogallala Aquifer, the nation's largest underground body of water. Models suggest people are drawing from the Ogallala at six and a half times its recharging rate. Fracking uses water to break up the underground shale that holds oil and gas, but mostly super salty water buries remnants of ancient oceans. Fresh water goes down the well and more than twice its volume of brine comes back up, mixed with the hydrocarbons. This is a season for bringing nature inside our increasingly civilized confines. Late on Christmas Eve, as the candles flicker and wane, it's time to ignite a big Yule log that will give warmth, light, and comfort through one of the longest nights of the winter. It's impossible to know exactly how far back this ritual goes, but there's abundant evidence of societies all over the world having similar practices around the 
solstice, people's spiritual connection with nature are at the core of helping us gather strength to cope with the difficulties in life. If we adjust our behaviors to the needs of nature, it implies that we are just a little part of the whole world and not the center. A ceremony on the Capitol's West Lawn to light a 78-foot red spruce from Pishka National Park herald the festive holiday season. The tree was one of nearly 5 million Christmas trees harvested in North Carolina this year. The tree will light up the West Lawn until the first week of January when its wood will be recycled to make musical instruments according to the U.S. Forestry Service. These instruments will be donated to local North Carolina communities. EcoWatch reports, as awareness grows about the health impact and the prevalence of the environmental toxins known as forever chemicals, U.S.-based conglomerate 3M announced that it would stop its use in manufacturers of per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances, PFAS, by the end of 2025. Kansas Reflector reports, Kansas should scrap its de facto policy of draining the Ogallala Aquifer is a decision recently decided by the Kansas Water Authority. Instead, the board said the Kansas government should take steps to stop the decline of the aquifer, which supplies water to one-sixth of the world's grain supply and save it for future generations. you care for nitrous oxide this morning? Oh, would you like a little CO2 and toast? Some ozone over easy if the lead has made you queasy. These aren't the things of which utilities are apt to boast. Global warming feels so nice in the morning, uh, but it gets a bit oppressive by midday. The polar bears are dying, amphibians are frying, but we have electric blowers to blow our leaves away. If what we do is legal, then we should not be concerned. The GOP's not worried about the coal we have to burn. So would you care for nitrous oxide this morning? Or would you like a little CO2 and toast? Some sulfur with your tea, a little mercury. It's the cost of the conveniences that you and I love most. A goodbye, East Coast. Thank you for listening to Eco Radio KC on KKFI 90.1 FM, Kansas City Community Radio. Eco Radio is brought to you each week by a team of collaborators, including me, Craig Lugo, Terry Wilking, Brent Rysdale, Bob Grove, and Dave Mitchell. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and guests and not of KKFI and or the Midcoast Media Project. 
You can find our calendar and a podcast of each show on Eco Radio KC's Facebook page, as well as on our show page at kkfi.org. This is Richard Mabian, and you can send inquiries and comments to our email at kkfi.org forward slash contact or message us on our Facebook page. Up next is Fiesta Musicale, followed by Noche Magica. Our outro music is Big Yellow Taxi by Joni Mitchell. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? Ooh, 